the crowd for which Jesus had compassion in the gospel story that we heard this morning is harassed and helpless, according to the NRSV. And this morning in the version Beth read, it was distressed and dejected. And literally, those Greek words, at least according to one commentary, mean oppressed and thrown to the ground. And Jesus looked on this harassed, helpless, oppressed, and thrown to the ground crowd and has compassion for them. Jesus looks at the crowd and sees humanity, sees human frailty and fragility and brokenness and the pain and sorrow of being systemically oppressed, discarded, forsaken, and has compassion for them. This week I read the gospel, a story 2,000 years old of Jesus having compassion for a crowd. And I see images of the crowd of thousands in St. Paul taking to the streets after yet another failure to convict, after yet another precious black life is snuffed by a system and by a human both of whom have vowed to serve and protect, both of whom have failed miserably, both of whom harass and oppress and throw bodies and lives to the ground. Lord, have mercy. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, oppressed and thrown to the ground like a sheep without a shepherd. Christ, have mercy. When we think of compassion and where it resides in the body, we are likely to think of the heart. We feel compassion in our hearts. In general, we feel with our hearts and we think with our heads, and compassion is something we feel. And not only that, but compassion is akin to love. And love and the heart are practically synonymous in our culture. I can even say, I heart you all. And you know exactly what I mean. In the word of the New Testament, in the world of the New Testament, folks imagined compassion residing not in the heart, but in the gut. In fact, the ancient Greek word that's translated as compassion also means intestines or bowels. Same word. So even though we culturally assign some of the best stuff to the heart in our world, love and compassion and adoration, the stuff we assign to the heart also tends to get reduced to saccharin. It tends to get sentimentalized. But there is nothing saccharine or sentimental about the intestines, friends. I rather appreciate the ancient Greek concept of compassion rooted deeply in the gut. This sort of compassion will not be reduced. It will not be diminished. It will not be pulverized. It will not anytime soon appear on a Hallmark card. Can you imagine an intestine? I intestine you. This sort of compassion is firm, it is fierce, and it will stand alongside. 
when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, oppressed and thrown to the ground like sheep without a shepherd. Christ have mercy. Jesus, in this gospel story that we've heard, in this good news story, is revealed as compassionate one. One whose compassion emerged from deep within him. One whose compassion was firm and was fierce and compelled him to stand alongside the harassed and the oppressed and the discarded crowds. Jesus, in our story today, is compassionate one. And the disciples... The disciples in our gospel this morning are the sent ones. And their mission, as they are sent, is to proclaim the reign of God come near. In word and in deed. They are to proclaim in their words and with their actions that God's reign has come near. They have journeyed with the compassionate one. They have borne witness as the compassionate one taught liberation, offered healing, broke bread and shared wine with all. They have seen the compassionate one embodied in their friend and their teacher. And then that same compassionate one sends them to tell the good news. The compassionate one and the sent ones. And this story has me thinking about how deeply rooted compassion Or that which we might even describe as inner knowing. That's one way we talk about the gut in our culture. is something that we just know. We're not even sure how we know it, but we just know it. So that deeply rooted compassion or that inner knowing. How that arises in us and then flows into action, into movement, into proclamation. Compassion may originate in the bowels. Or in the heart, if you just can't get on board with the ancient Greeks and their intestines. Compassion may originate there, but it doesn't stay there. Compassion, as Jesus reveals over and over again, is not static. Compassion arises from deep within. Flows, moves, acts, and is sent. So, a question for y'all to ponder What is stirring in your own bowels? Maybe you only feel hunger, like Naomi up here. But what is stirring deep within? And if you just can't go to the intestines, place what's stirring in your heart and in your mind. What compassion is agitating within you? What compassion might be rising or ready to rise? From within you. One of my favorite podcasts is Another Round with Tracy in Heaven. And at the end of each episode, it's called Another Round. And what they do at the end of each episode is they each symbolically buy a round. So they buy a round for someone or something. And recently, Heaven bought a round for Tracy's practice of just one thing. Tracy explained that she often experiences what she calls task paralysis. A little something I know nothing about, she says sarcastically. 
And so her practice, in the face of task paralysis, her practice of just one thing is related to something that's been hanging over your head for a long time, something that just needs to get done, something that is perhaps causing a disproportionate amount of anxiety the longer it's ignored. And Tracy reflected on how identifying just one thing and then following through on that just one thing can be immensely liberating. And how once unstuck... She can often follow through on a few additional things as well. Well, we hear a lot these days about the, com- the idea of compassion fatigue, given how many individuals and issues and peoples and places in the world are deserving of our compassion. And Tracy's reflection on task paralysis has me also thinking about compassion paralysis. Sometimes it's not so much fatigue I feel in the face of this world's harassed and helpless, oppressed and discarded crowds, but paralysis. And so I'm pondering, pondering, <laughs> pondering the liberating practice of just one thing. I don't need to do all the things. Maybe I just need to do the one thing that's deeply stirring within me. And then, when compassion stirs my bowels anew, (laughs) maybe I just need to do the next one thing, and so on. So, a second question to ponder. In what way might you be sent? Sent in response to your own sense of stirring compassion, not another's, not what someone is telling you you ought to be feeling. In, in response to your own sense of compassion, deeply rooted compassion, sent to proclaim the good news of God's reign, come near. What's the just one thing that might prove immensely liberating to you? Yeah. Spending time with family. That's beautiful, Naomi. Thanks. That's a good just one thing to do. I want to say a word very specifically to Miriam this morning, since she is an honored one among us, having just graduated. And the rest of y'all can listen in. Arguably the most quoted definition of true vocation comes from a man named Frederick Beekner. Probably because he really nails it. And so people have been saying it a lot. Because it resonates with their own experience, perhaps. So here it is. The place where God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place where God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And that's at least part of what we wish for you, Miriam, that you will notice your own compassion stirring deep within you that you will know your own deep gladness, and that you will find the place where that meets one of the world's deep hungers and needs. Another well-known way to say this comes from Howard Thurman. He once said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. This is very famous, completely unoriginal at graduation time, but still so beautiful. 
Don't ask yourself what the world needs, Thurman famously wrote. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I learned this week that Miriam has spent the past five years offering tutoring at the Union Gospel Mission after school. And what started as a service requirement in eighth grade, I understand, just became an ongoing five-year voluntary commitment. Miriam, may you continue to feel your compassion. May you continue to be compelled by that compassion into action. May you be sent to places where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger can meet. May you and may each one of us be sent to proclaim in word and in deed the good news of God's reign come near. The good news of God's reign is that that compassion resides within us as well. The compassionate one has come. The compassionate one has sent us. And that is good news indeed. Thanks be to God.